0: Hey everyone welcome to 12 questions this is anna balans wheel and yes i am quitting vaping again that's right uh but i think this time i'm gonna do it because this is this is by the way a uh, a thing you can track on the podcast ladies and gentlemen i made a commitment to my sponsor that if I if either one of us because she's quitting too if either one of us relapses on the nicotine vapes, we're gonna send fifty dollars to Mitch McConnell <laughs> for his re-election campaign. Oh my and god! I, I, I feel like that's a really good deterrent. <laughs> but uh, so I'm out of it. I'm crazy, and I'm very grateful for my patient, lovely co-host, Mr. Deviates.
1: Sounds like business as usual uh, to me. I, I I I hear no change. Uh, you hear no. It, I sound it, just uh, as hear, crazy as I, usual. I, I hear no change, uh, but I'm I'm happy that you're choosing to not get the popcorn lung or whatever yeah. the fuck everybody thinks is going to happen.
0: I don't know what's going to happen. All I know is that it is still a miracle uh, Like I, it, it's just it's so. How did they they made it taste like dessert? You know what I mean? You made t- cigarettes taste like dessert. How could I not? you know? Um, but yeah. I, 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 I still
1: think regular cigarettes taste like dessert. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's just that my body hates nicotine. So eventually it just, it works for a little while. And then, you know, like all things, you either got to get stronger, stronger juice or, uh, or just stop doing it. Cause it makes you feel crazy. You, you've even thrown shade at me. You say I vape like a monster because I vape constantly. Yeah, you do. that's
1: not shade i didn't know shade was just stating the facts that's new
0: (laughs) that's accurate do you mind speaking of stating some facts could you read us our beautiful clarity statement
1: Sure can. Welcome to 12 Questions. We believe that growth and recovery isn't just for clean and sober people. Our mission is to share experiences with guests who do the same. We're not affiliated with AA, NA, or any other 12-step organization. 12 Questions has absolutely no opinion on the use of drugs or alcohol by anyone. We're simply two people that happen to be in recovery that want to give hope to anyone struggling. Although some of our guests may be clean and sober, some of them are not or choose not to divulge. The purpose of the podcast is to learn more about ourselves and others. We only hope that you can learn something about yourselves by listening.
0: I am so excited for today's guest because it's this be is one. like this is gonna be a good one. This is like uh low-key a little bit like the 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 other side of the story. We're getting two sides of the story. Mm-hmm. Uh so we our guests always introduce themselves uh because we want to give them the opportunity if they want to stay super anonymous. Uh they can do that. Who are we speaking with today?
2: Hi, this is Larry Clark um am i super I am not anonymous I'm an actor so I've been out there in the public eye and I'm sober so happily sober for many years so Larry um,
1: Clark in the building
2: Yeah I don't mind talking about it and I don't uh mind extending a hand to anyone that needs help uh that's the way it works Hell yeah
0: so awesome Larry we spoke with your uh lovely uh your lovely wife uh, Yeah so this
1: is like a two-parter listeners out there so if you're if you're just tuning in for the first time go back and listen to the fielding episode and then and then we're going to follow it up with the
2: larry episode the, and, the, and, and it's not going to link they're going to go these two things that don't go together how do these two go together i don't know how it matches
1: i'm excited <laughs> to figure it out though I'm, I'm excited to see how how the yin goes to the yang how the square goes in the in the round hole You know, we're we're, going to do it. We're going to do it.
0: (laughs) Awesome, Larry. Well, let's get into these questions. Okay, Um,
2: let's get in.
0: Let's just get into it. How are you? First off, how are you today? How are you feeling?
2: I'm okay. I, uh, (laughs) you know, I just came back from doing, um, I helped run this uh, reading series, which has really been uh a lifesaver out here in los angeles um and i've been doing it for like 18 years uh, so every tuesday no it used to be every tuesday we just changed it to mondays uh, but you know writers and actors get together and we do new works and um it's really helped my writing and my artistry and it's kept me sane over the years and we just did it live for the first time last night which for a year and a half we've been away So it felt great to get off Zoom. I can't stand Zoom. Sorry. Uh, uh, Yeah, I know. Hey, this
1: this thing we're currently doing, I fucking hate it.
0: I hate it. I I can't
2: stand it. I can't stand Zoom meetings. I can't stand Zoom anything anymore. I mean, it is strange how sometimes you can have, you can connect the people on Zoom and get to know them, but I really don't think that you're connecting as well. as, Mm. And especially as an actor, I mean, I need to hear... I need to be in the room and feel, you know, the timing, uh, you know, of reading and connecting to another actor is critical and it's just all very difficult to do. And I find recovery. To, I mean, anyone that's gotten sober on zoom, my hat's off. You oh, must even. really, really want it. You got to really I tell people all the time.
1: I could never have, never I, it be, it'd be never. me and a handle. Be me in the handle until they let, let me come out the house. So I, hats yes. off to you if, if you're yeah, a zoom. I don't sober. know how
2: you're doing it because um I mean, I think we've lost a lot of people because of COVID. I think we've yeah. let, I think the number of suicides, we haven't even even touched how many people we've lost because of the depression that's come in because of the isolation of addicts mm-hmm. being stuck in their homes. And I mean, and then increased by your entire society breaking down around you. You know, I was an active addict and I had paranoia and I didn't even have that all going around me. And I still was, you know, destroying myself. So I don't don't even know what it's like to have, you know, to be active and, and have the world kind of reflecting the darkness of your own soul, you know, at the same time. I mean, it's very dangerous and precarious situation. And I think a lot of people... Took their lives uh, in the past year and a half. We don't even know the numbers, really.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, we'll find out a few years from now what this actually was uh, numbers wise. But you know, the way I look at it too, though, is like I guess if we if we consider what surrender looks like and what any lengths looks like, I mean, when I was done, I was done. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, sometimes you don't you you don't get a, a big enough window. You know, some people get done and then the window closes and then they stay going.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've you know, she's, you know, I think surrender is uh, an everyday thing, you know, and everyone's surrender is different. Yeah, and, and that's the question.
1: Uh, first, is what does surrender look like to you, Larry? Mm-hmm.
2: Y- you know, uh, so what does surrender look like to me? You know, I, I like I said, I think that is something that. In recovery, you have to redefine what surrender is every day that you're sober. I mean, the great thing about sobriety is they teach you to look at each day, you know, uh, differently. And the only way you're going to learn that, the only way I learned it was to go to a meeting every day in person in New York, which is what I did. And really, I felt like I was starting over and looking at life in a whole new way. Mm-hmm. And so I got into those rituals of getting on the subway and grabbing a coffee and sitting in my mm-hmm. chair. And, you know, I did it seven, six days a week for years and years and years. And you meet the same people. And I, and it was interesting. Cause we talk about, I mean, uh, uh, how people are doing it now. Like I wasn't, I didn't trust anybody, you know, until you sat in the room with me and revealed something to me. And then I could start to trust you or we hung out and had coffee and you revealed something to me. Um, and that's kind of like the, uh, the contract of recovery is that we're, we're all like exposing ourselves and telling great truths and our secrets to each other. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right. and, and I was always amazed at how honest uh, someone could be in a room so quickly in front of 30, 40 to hundred people. Um, talking about the deepest, darkest secrets of their lives, and uh, that to me, I was like, wow, these people are either crazy or they—they're onto something, you know. Yeah. So uh, this idea, of surrender. Uh, you know, I—I <laughs> I think I could write a book on it for myself because to me, it's—it's it's the peeling of the onion. It's the, uh, it's 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 something that you never truly um, conquer because once you've surrendered, you know, one thing, then there's the, you know, then there's the vape pen behind it, like you were saying, Mm -hmm. but you're like, there's always (laughs) something And as addicts, you know, as this addict always like to reach, I like to reach outside of myself whenever I can, uh, to, um, not be in touch with myself. So my natural, my predilection is to reach out And because I'm uncomfortable in my skin and I suffer from various kind of things that have made me an addict over the years uh, that I still have, you know, and uh, but so, for example, I've reached out to I mean, I got fed up with the way my brain works, you know, and Mm. that's after being sober for years. And I'm just Mm getting so tired of the way my brain works, Uh, you know, um, and seeing how other people did better with meditation. And how I could I continually failed at it, or various things. So I, you know, I'm in my relationship with Fielding, and I was sitting in a session with her, and I talked about my ADHD. And I remember this guy going, "Well, you know, there's drugs for that." And and I remember thinking I hadn't been to a meeting in a long, long. I had a hard time connecting out here in LA. I was like, anyway, I still have it a little is, bit of a hard. It's hard
0: really time. It's really hard to move in fellowship. That is, yeah. that was my experience as well. I moved it. Like I've moved a lot and it is really hard cause you're like a newcomer, but you also are not. And so yeah. it's, it, it's different. Yeah.
2: I've had my best successes out here in private meetings. I know that sounds strange and I've had some, it's like, or I go to larger meetings and it's crazy large. And uh, there's just a thing in LA. I've never gotten my ha- a handle on it and it has to be show business. I mean, I don't know what yeah. it is. Uh, it's show business, throws everything off. So again, it's precarious out here. Uh, I've known a lot of celebrities have gotten sober. Mm-hmm. I've known a few that have died, mm-hmm. um, but I know the allure of the room changes when you put celebrity into it, or this idea of coming to um, you know Disneyland and <laughs> trying to find right. yourself, and then you wake up, you're an addict, you gotta go to meetings, and then you see right. your favorite actor, your favorite actor next to you, you know? And you're like, oh wow. Yeah, it's wow. a
1: mind fuck for sure. Yeah. It's a
2: fuck, and it, it isn't like the same thing happened in Fireside New York which I thought to me I enjoyed that cuz I was a nowhere waiter nothing was happening in my career I couldn't yeah. get arrested I was inspired when I counted days with Calvin Klein you know like he was he was next to me <laughs> raising his hand nice. you know. And uh, I think it's pretty well known. He's so, I, well, at least that he tried. to use, I don't know, who knows? I mean, I won't go to the list of the people. It was quite a few of them used to come to this quote unquote celebrity meeting. And I remember thinking it helped me because I was thinking, God, Klein is a billionaire is sitting next. He's sitting next to me and he's hurting. And we're in this crappy YMCA mm-hmm. and he can't buy what he wants. He simply cannot get it. And and he he's,
1: I mean, with a billion dollars, you can't afford peace of mind.
2: No, I know. No, he can't get it. He's got to sit next to me, and he's got to like sit in the same meeting. And 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 I just remember this idea that no matter who you were, you had to check you had to check who you were at the door, and you had to come in and get the secret sauce, whatever it is we were serving in that room. You can't buy it, and I love that. So I really liked the celebrities. And I, and again, as an actor who wanted to go, hey, how did you do it? How do you how do I get out of this place where I'm at now, which is anonymity? Like I'm completely anonymous. I, I'm nowhere. Uh, and they'd be like, it's going to happen if you if you kind of follow these simple steps. So I followed them kind of like a puppy. and uh, And sure enough, it did. It happened for me. I actually got my career back. I got a career going. And uh, that was nothing short of a a miracle. But this idea of surrender, um, again, it's been taught to me over and over that you have to uh, surrender every day and, uh, and give up your whatever you think whatever you're defending whatever you think that you gained (laughs) from the previous day Mm -hmm. uh you know whatever you think that you can sit on a high horse about i mean it's it's going to be another day and you're going to have to uh look at it differently so for example i'll look at surrender as like i was going to say that adhd med yeah
0: yeah yeah
2: you know when he said that to me i went God, I'm tired of my brain. I'm tired of it. Yeah, sounds good. So I went to an ADHD guy out here, and he was like, "Yeah, you got ADHD here. Let's put you on the meds." And I was like, "Well, wow, they're kind of speedy." And he goes, "Well, they're not speed It's not speed You can't <laughs> you can't abuse it. This is called Focalin. It's not, you know, whatever. You can't abuse it." I'd be it. like, and go, "Oh what? yeah,
1: watch me." I'd be like, <laughs> yeah, you, oh, "Yeah, yeah, watch me."
2: Well, I did. I did abuse them, but more importantly, when he opened up this portal that I was like, I took the focal in and I put it in my brain. And I went, well, wow, I actually do better mm-hmm. when I have this stuff in my brain. So I started taking other things that increased. I started taking B12 and I started drinking more coffee with the focal in. And then I started taking extreme energy drinks. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then- Oh I got, yeah, you, you did know,
0: the ADD thing. You went, you went caffeine really, crazy.
2: Really, really yeah. clear, you know? And then he started giving me- um, basically pharmaceutical cocaine, which he never should have. Um, And I didn't turn it down uh, because by then I was like, this is fantastic. And pharmaceutical cocaine given to you by a psychiatrist is, um, it's incredible. (laughs) It's the kind of stuff they give, it's the kind of pill they give to fighter pilots before they do their missions uh it is um really dangerous and i was taking that stuff and um and before you know it i was out of my mind (laughs) i woke up one day going wait a second i'm out of my mind i'm taking ambien to sleep at night i'm taking this crap stuff during the day i have slipped i didn't even know this but i'm out of my mind you know and i you know um you know, uh, well, it's easy are to
1: rationalize. You're like, this is for fighter pilots. I'm writing pilots. That's the same. That's, <laughs> that's funny. Pilot. That's
0: pilot. Very,
2: that's very getting funny. Ready for, well, well, the doctor getting ready went, for pilot well, season. I only supposed to give this to nighttime workers. And he goes, you're kind of a nighttime worker. You're an actor. <laughs> sure.
0: No, you, your doctor, I I have a bone oh, to pick was... with your doctor because I um I've had to get outside help for for some things for anxiety and ADHD and you know what's fascinating is I I had a I had a conversation with my psychiatrist yesterday and I was like I'm feeling a little depressed and we were talking and he said well it's because you're quitting the vaping you're quitting nicotine that's a stimulant it's going to bring you down and he he has such a light touch he's always like well, we'll talk about it next month before I know you're all right. Like, and he's never, ever made any changes. Everything has just been completely solid. Like you sound like you're doing all right, but like, we'll keep an eye on this. And, and I think a lot of times there's a, um, a pamphlet in the the fellowship that, that I go to called in times of illness. And it's really, really good because it really kind of breaks down like the relationship between, because medication and doctors can be a big slip. And it is, as long as we're not honest, I feel like the honesty, yeah. is, honesty the, is, is the key lead, is the key. Yeah. Yeah. I come and in if and I like these meds.
2: If you're on the meds, you have to stay honest with because yeah. everything has a side effect. Yep. And the side effects change. Mm-hmm. Um and anyway, I tried it. I got off the ADHD meds. I started counting days again,
0: mm. recommitted
2: the program. Um, and then I went on SSRIs because I was like, at the same time I got married. <laughs> well, whatever. It rocked our marriage, but, but oh, so we you weren't,
0: you weren't actually dealing with, okay, continue. I continue your story. Cause I think I, I almost, I've had a similar anyway, continue. Sorry.
2: <laughs> I got off the meds and I was like, okay. Uh, and then we got pregnant <laughs> together mm-hmm. um, and we decided to stay together. Cause that really did rock us. It, it, it was like, listen, I'm kind of a fuck up yeah. and you have the opportunity to exit this relationship if you like,
0: mm-hmm. uh,
2: because I really am a fuck up. Like, you know, like I, I I'm starting over mm-hmm. uh, and she was like, no, I'll hang in there. And I was like, mm-hmm. you know, a, and I kept thinking in my head with fielding. I was like, I think we're supposed to have a baby. And as a matter of fact, um, Jeffrey Tambor was our kind of like guru teacher that I had over the years. He became a good friend and he was that he like helped us get married and, Jeffrey was is, is a special person in my life, and he used to have this one man show that he did that had nothing to do with acting, but it's basically how it was called "acting for your life." Mm-hmm. And um, anyway, one of our dates to kind of come back together and to decide whether you know we pretty much knew we were getting back together, but I had moved out of our condo and um, I went with field to see Jeffrey. And Jeffrey was like, what's going on? After the show, he's looking at us because I was blown away by his show, but we came together and Jeffrey looked at us and goes, what's going on with you two? And he goes, you, you need to be together. You need to be together. And we go, "It's we think it's happening. And he goes, no, 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 make a baby. You're supposed to make a baby, make a baby. <laughs> And, uh, but he was kind of weird that way. And he still is, he has this other sense and he was right. We were supposed to kind of get together and have a baby like this crazy couple. We got back together and we had a baby and we moved into a house. And, and once she got pregnant, my anxiety level went to another level. Mm Like once she got pregnant, I was like, Oh my God, how, how are we going to keep this thing alive? You know? This sounds like an
1: insane moment, though. Like, would you say that this is the most insane moment you've had, either in or out of recovery?
2: About a few of those. No. I mean, I've been been around trying to get sober since I was 24 and I'm 37. Um, I've had a bunch of those moments. No, there's been a lot, you know, just because you get sober doesn't mean that crazy life doesn't come by and take out your legs. I mean, that's what life does. And so I've had a lot of moments where my, my uh, knees have been taken out, but this was definitely up there as far as redefining. I mean, having a kid after coming off a slip and then getting back onto, um, SSRIs, and uh, then preparing, and then going through the whole pregnancy thing and then being there for the birth of my daughter. You know, yeah, that was all, it was crazy. Um, it brought me to a new lows, but also I had the greatest high of my life was watching my daughter come out of my <laughs> my wife. I mean, that was incredible. That was, you know, uh, I, I, I was like, wow, I achieved in one day what I hadn't been able to achieve in my entire life. I was like, I finally did something that no matter what you do, it's good. Like it's, we made a life and mm. uh, you know, everybody makes a life, you know, but I was pretty an old dad and I didn't think I was gonna be a part of that. I was a pretty mm-hmm. self selfish actor, self-obsessed addict who didn't really think I had the cojones or the uh, will to bring another life into this world. Right, And so it shocked me that first of all, it's hard to get pregnant. You don't realize this, but mm-hmm as you get older, it's harder to get pregnant. And you don't know this. A lot of people are struggling to just even have a kid, but I lived most of my life trying not to have a kid. Like it's mm-hmm. always been about sex and not trying to have kids. That's what life right. was, yeah. you know? And then you turn your life around, and you're like, oh, let's have a kid. Uh, right. It's just a different way of looking at the world, you know? And you're like, oh, let's bring this thing into the world that's gonna be completely dependent on me. And I'm not really, I don't really feel like I'm a responsible guy. Okay, let me do that.
0: Um, and that's a that's a really big decision, especially for somebody with like. It sounds like you and I share the anxiety thing. I had that. I actually, um, they tried to treat my ADHD before I uh, long, many years ago, ten years ago, fifteen years ago, um, before I had my um, my anxiety in check, and that was a huge mistake because the anxiety the anxiety stuff is actually it'll just make you focus on your anxiety and amp you up. And so it's just, it's just not as, it's, you, yes. it's, you got to treat the thing that's killing you first, right? That's like yeah. yeah. But I but may I, made I a- don't
2: know what I, I, your anxiety is different than mine. Your, your people's yeah. depressions are different from other people's mm-hmm. depressions. You know, I would never say my anxiety is, uh, was life debilitating. I did mm-hmm. not have uh, those kind of panic attacks or anything like that. Yeah. Um, I ha- my anxiety, uh, would be enough to um it's hard to dis- explain my anxiety uh it's it feels like depression but it's not it's right. a disconnectedness mm-hmm. in life where I yeah. really feel like that I, I'm outside of my body and mm-hmm. and and I'm not in my life because James, yeah. I, can, I can I cannot invest in it I can't I call never. it
0: uh being John Malkovich syndrome I can see yeah. myself being operated but I'm, yeah. I'm watching like it's a movie, but I'm not I'm not involved.
2: Exactly. Mm-hmm. And there's one yeah. reason why I like doing drugs is because that used to engage me in my life yeah. more. So I still had that same feeling I used to, I, loved, I used to love get, when I was active, love to get stoned and then do normal things and act like that was normal. That was one of my favorite things to do. Very much like that, <laughs> <doing Malcolm laughs> thing, like enhanced by a hundred. Yeah. Uh, I don't know why I did that. Um, uh, I did have an anxiety attack a few times on marijuana and that was one of the worst moments of my life.
0: And that's, and I think that that's like, that's very common, but you know, it, what's, wh- what's interesting is with all this stuff happening in your, in your brain and in your life and, and with your disease, you um, you're, you were able to make the decision to have a child and to like Get, and to surrender and to get to that point where you're like, I'm, you know, I I made a mistake. I slipped. I I had a relapse. I'm going to stay. I I'm going to making the decision to even stay in a marriage after that. Cause for two, two recovery people, that's a huge deal breaker. It's like somehow right. above cheating. Like it's crazy. Yeah. It's like, it's yeah. like, a, it's such a betrayal. And so like, you seem to be able like to make these big decisions How are you making decisions in your life now? Were those decisions happening to you then? And then you're, and you were just sort of going along with it or or were you making conscious decisions? Do you continue to make conscious decisions in your life now?
2: I don't know. I try not to make a big deal out of anything. I don't try to like say this is a big decision. Like when we decided to have a kid, it was like, wasn't deciding to have a kid. It was like, let's see if we can have a kid. Mm -hmm. Because, and Fielding will fight me on this, but she'll be like, at first, when we got together, she did not want to have kids. And I was like, this woman's cool. She doesn't want to have kids. She's younger than me. We're going to have a cool like life. And we're not going to be stuck at home like all my other friends. And we're going to travel the world and have a cool life. And we did that for a few years, right? And, uh, and then her friends all got pregnant. And she all of a sudden was like, maybe we should. And I went, really? Oh, man. Like, ah, oh, come on, let's just, this us be, let's not be that couple, you know? And then, uh, the thing that changed that for me was, wasn't friends getting pregnant around me, people started dying and I was in my forties and that rocked me mm-hmm. when people start, like my mother died weirdly, tragically, horribly, um, rock, that rocked my world. Um, a dear friend of ours, Fielding and ours, he got out of the blue, got struck with brain cancer and died within a month or two months. Mm-hmm. And one of his last words to me was, Marry that woman. Like he said, because I, I was kind of on the cusp with Fielding. And he was like, Stop wasting. He said a thing, he said, Stop wasting your life, her life. Don't stop wasting mm. her life. Yeah. Because he had seen me with a few, you know, I'd known him for years and he'd seen me with a few girlfriends. And he was like, Stop it. Stop wasting your time, marry her, mm-hmm. stop wasting your life. And as someone that is dying, saying that it just, it hits you in a different way, you know, yeah. especially this guy, you know, cause I'd met him in recovery and he was very wise. He was a dear friend. And to see him go so quickly and in so absurdly, I just, the absurdity of life and end of life and sickness and all that stuff changes. It changes your perspective. And, uh, and again, you want to bring it back to surrender, it brings another form of surrender in. Mm -hmm. And there's something about the timetable of life that I did not really listen to or adhere to, or even think about much in my twenties and thirties. And in forties, when, you know, when you, when you're looking at your dead mother, you're like, oh, okay. Life is definitely finite. (laughs) There she is. You know, uh, it, it just, it. It's just there. And it's, it's, I think it's why important. it's important for you to go through the grieving process. It's important to show up for people that are ill and dying and uh, help them usher, usher forth. And uh, uh, that rocked me. I just, I have to say that rocked me. And um, anyway, all that had an impact on Fielding and I. And then when Richard died, um, it was like, oh, maybe I should have something. I should do something in this world that will last longer than me. Or do something that's going to be bigger than me. Maybe the kid is going to be a part of that. Let's have a kid.
1: Yeah, death. Death will put everything into perspective. I mean, I lost so many people, including my father, the past couple of years, and it's like it really. Sorry to hear me. that. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's death be happening in life. <laughs> yeah,
0: this is a this is a dead parents club co- podcast. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Well, yeah. did you make
2: a mm-hmm. did you make a movie about it? Because I did.
0: Uh, I would, I would love to. I mean, I would love, I tried to, in a writing class, write a movie about my dad dying bits, and it was rough. So. <laughs> and and Dave's these hot grief. Bits, yeah. So, yeah. But it, well, I mean, I, it, was
1: a, so, it, it helped me learn about myself. I mean, mm-hmm. death helps you learn about yourself as much as I don't want to admit it. Grief has always helped me learn about myself. And the surprising thing is when you're in that much emotional pain for me, it broke me down to the the point of it's like, well, you can always make more money. You can't make more time. You know, I yeah. give, I would give it all away for five more minutes with the people mm-hmm. I've lost that I love. And that's a surprising thing to realize you're so go, 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 and focus on your career. And then something rocks your world like that. And it's, you learn about yourself and uh, Larry, through all your pain and your relationships and all we've just talked about, what is the most surprising thing you've learned about yourself?
2: What is the most surprising thing I've learned about myself? Mm-hmm. Yep. In when, just
0: in life. life, in life,
2: in this journey through, and the journey
0: through, yeah, And your journey.
2: I mean, these are tough questions. Um, They're
0: designed to be, sorry.
2: That's what, that's what we <laughs> I, I do around here. Perseverance. I learned that I can persevere,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and um, that I have more strength than I know, uh, and that I have a. There's always a deeper well inside of me that I'm not aware of, and uh, that I have tremendous, uh, the ability to change and to develop compassion, and I didn't know if I had that in me, but Mm -hmm. the program has taught me that, Um, uh, so there's a thing in program which has always taught me to show up regardless whether you're feeling it or not, and to act as if you have faith and faith will be given to you and that has been the greatest role uh the greatest thing i've adhered to is i've stuck to program and i've done things like sponsored people and make phone calls and do these things when i don't feel like it and um that changed my life so to this to to not think that i have to have a feeling to do something to to second guess what i think is compassion um uh, to just follow through and don't worry about the feelings that are associated with it. These are the things that I, I feel like um, I've had to learn along the way. And mm-hmm. the only way to do that is to show up and to work with others. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, they told me to sponsor people. I don't want to sponsor people. I don't want to listen to these guys. I you know A, a few of them drove me crazy. Um, I'm working with a couple of them right now who actually, you know, but, uh, I have a couple of sponsees now and I'm always surprised how people are attracted to me and my program. Um, and a lot of the times like this, these, these two sponsees were friends that were drifting out. Like one, was like drifting away from program and I could see he's in trouble. Mm -hmm. And I've done this a lot over the years and I go, listen, I'll be your, like, I'll carry you through until you get another sponsor. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't think I'm going to be, let's, let's, let's not have you die. How about that? And Mm -hmm. then when you're got a couple of years of sobriety, you can go get your dream sponsor, you know, but for right now, I've been in long enough and I can see you're on the edge because a few of these guys I've worked with over the years are are literally on the edge and I can Mm -hmm. see it. And I've seen, I've lost people in recovery. I've lost, Mm I've seen people die and it's real easy to do. Mm -hmm. It's real easy and uh you're doing you're doing drugs that are dangerous you're having bad slips you um, uh i it life is precarious in and of itself you need to stay sober chemically and you need to check in with me every day so like I, I and they'll listen to me most of the time they'll listen to me you know uh and i and i'll i've worked with these guys and then i can do a handoff and then they tend to get stronger and then they get another sponsor um, so anyway, uh, that's, what's going on today. And, uh, but even then another guy reached out to me and, you know, I don't even really have, I mean, i go to various programs and, um, and, uh, but during, uh, I don't think my AA program was strong at all. I wasn't going, I was hanging on to these zoom meetings and, and going with fielding to a few online, but not really hating it, because when I would look in the Zoom meetings, like in AA, like I would, I felt like I was peering into everybody's depressed life,
0: <laughs> like hey. I was seeing
2: everybody's depressed bedroom. <laughs> and I,
1: was like, I mean, My least favorite thing was seeing people's nice ass kitchens while I was in the Zoom space hurting. I'm just like, you fuck you and your goddamn stainless steel stove, Steven.
0: Yeah. yeah. Or I I did have a friend, he he texted me, and this is I mean breaks traditions, but it's very funny. He texted me a picture from his screen cap from his Zoom meeting where a kid was drinking a beer and smoking a, smoking a joint in the meeting. And he was like, he just, he sent me the picture and he goes, third tradition, baby. And then I just started laughing so hard. I, cause I was like, how did everybody react? He was like the whole meeting freaked out. And I was like, did you laugh? And he goes, I think it's hilarious. <laughs> I know. I, I always
2: was surprised in New York when an actual drunk would walk into an AA meeting
0: mm-hmm. and people
2: would be so shocked. Here's a drunk,
0: yeah, in off
2: the street. I'm like, yeah, the, the exact they-? place.
1: The exact place they're <laughs> supposed to be. How dare exactly. they?
2: Yeah, um, this room's for him, you know. But uh, yeah, yeah, I get it. You're not supposed to disturb the meeting if they then they talk and stuff. I get it. We've had to, I've seen many people having to be kicked out of AA rooms, which is I don't know, absurd. It's ironic uh, because they're too drunk to sit in a meeting. But uh, they just happen a lot in New York. I yeah, here, but I got I up.
0: got yelled at because I was surfing for a while. And when you surf, you have to wake up at like four in the morning. So I was like surfing and I fell asleep in a Sunday afternoon meeting. And this this guy who had way less time than me, bless his heart, just leans over. And he's like, you can't nod out in here. That's not OK. And not everyone out? just, oh. yeah, he was like, everybody just started laughing. We were like, oh, no, I'm just tired, baby. It's OK. <laughs> it was very, it was very funny, but I, I think that like, you know, I, and I get that the Zoom meetings aren't for everybody. I kind of, as a comedian, love them because I can mm. still go to meetings. Oh, oh yeah, on the, Fielding loves on it. The road. She's at the, she's
2: reached the zenith of her recovery. She, with she can do everything in her life at the same time, do her Zoom meetings and then jump off and do the next thing. Listen, uh, for a lot of I people love are digging this Zoom recovery world. To me, it is the opposite of what recovery is and that is connecting truly connecting and going out and walking up to someone after a meeting and saying hey you want to get a cup of coffee or here i am or hug somebody and and that's the only thing that used to impress me was actually the people you know mm-hmm. and that no one's you know everyone's like i'll put my name you know on the chat i'll put my number in the chat and it's like we'll talk on the phone but yeah i i, I again it's like i need connection i need yeah. service i need to be able because you can talk about whatever you want in the rooms, and you can read the big book, but what do you do? What do you do in your life? And that shows me who you are. You know, are are you uh, are you gonna are you gonna call me? Are you gonna meet me for coffee yeah. when things are difficult? You know, in the middle of the yeah. night. You know, are you that kind of person? You know, and I found out so many great people in recovery who did that. I just don't know how it happens. How do you find those people on Zoom? I don't know how you do it.
0: That's an interesting question. I think what what you seem to really value is uh, honesty in people yeah. and interactions that yield honesty. And you're not finding that over Zoom, which I think is totally valid. Like, what what is you would you say your level of honesty is today in your life and in your recovery?
2: Oh, good segue. Mm. Um, my level of honesty. I, I again, that's another tough one. Uh, Got to catch myself on that. You know level of honesty. Um, uh, To me, what I fight with, like, you know, social media um, and trying to be too honest in social media is a great challenge for me. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I just got off, I'm writing about uh, some stupid celebrity thing and I'm having an argument, but I'm basically stating whatever, I'm going off on a rant is really what it is on social media, which I have to watch because I can go off on political rants. I can go off on anger rants, uh, whatever it is on social media. Uh, I can go after and I mean, do you mind if I say Trumper or MAGA? I don't know if you. Know, but, yeah, go for um, it. I just okay. I just said to the whole I,
0: podcast that I'm I'm trying to shame myself into staying staying off nicotine because if I don't, I have to send fifty dollars to Mitch McConnell. Oh, okay, all right. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, well, you're good. I to said, go. You know, I said he line, needs
1: I, more band aids for his bloody black hands. Okay, he needs okay. that fifty dollars.
2: <laughs> yeah, what is going on with those hands? I, they haven't showed his hands in a long time since the election. I don't know what happened, but
0: yeah. uh, uh, what's I, what happened? I on the social media keeper.
2: that I I said, no one will, I don't wish anyone death in this world. Mm-hmm. I said, but when Mitch McConnell happens to die, I'm taking a plane to Kentucky and I'm going to view him. I'm going to be there.
0: <laughs> Just going to view it. Just I'm to make to the, sure you got to confirm. I'm
2: going to the viewing <laughs> and that's not neither good nor bad. That's what I'm doing because I think, He's one of the most. I won't believe he's dead. Tell you the truth, whenever he dies, I won't believe it because I don't know if he—he's like Dick Cheney. Like I don't know if he has actual blood going through his veins, or if it's just pure evil. Yeah, he's just a horrible human. It's just horrible.
0: So, so you're giving you're giving the MAGA guys a hell online.
2: (laughs) A what? A hell online? You
0: you you said you said the the MAGA the MAGA folk. You were talking about like posting. I'm saying
2: the temptation of being too honest while, Mm. while being online, like how long do you go back and forth with a, with a, with a, with a MAGA, you know, like. They're probably not even real
0: people anyway. They're probably Russian bots. Yeah.
2: Well, I have been seduced into arguing with some of the bots, but I usually catch that now and now I don't really go back and forth. I just say you're a MAGA. I don't talk to you. That's all I do. But to get there has been a long road. Like, mm-hmm. um, w- I how much truth do you want from me? You know, and then can you handle the truth? You know? <laughs> you can't and handle the truth.
0: You <laughs> can't handle
2: the truth. And the thing is, is, online, you really can't be honest and truthful all the time. You can't. So, no. I mean, you uh, even in life, am I going to call my brother, who's a, whatever, I don't know, I watch what I say because he gets very, He's, he's in the public eye um, in Maryland, but um, uh, we don't get along. Mm. And I got another brother who is a MAGA, okay? Mm. And if I talk to him, I can't talk to him truthfully. Really, I can't talk to him truthfully because what he stands for makes me sick. But he's also my mm. brother. So, uh, so I don't so know do if you went... do you
1: still love those two people despite?
2: I do. I do. Yeah. I mean they're my brothers but i can't talk to them like i want to talk to them uh they're both have minefields all around them so you Mm -hmm. have to all you do is avoid topics so eventually you avoid conversations you just avoid picking up the phone
1: i'm a big believer in loving from a distance like i've had i've had my fair share of family members that you know you have to love from a distance because you're just tired of trying to eat the shit sandwiches they're always serving up you know, yeah. like, I, like I've had, and that's a lot of the boundaries and stuff that I've had to work on is like, I can't do anything about the way they are because when I try to do something about the way they are, it gives me anxiety. And there's yes. always this like lie that we tell ourselves. And it's, I mean, it's for me growing up that like we have this familial obligation like the whole blood is thicker than water Mm -hmm. and family, family. things Mm -hmm. like that. And for me, whenever I'm in that space, trying to like fix the tiny family that I have, it gives me anxiety, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, and I don't, I don't know about you. We talked a little bit about it earlier, but how do you experience anxiety today, Larry? I know you've done a lot of work on it, but what does anxiety look like today?
2: Uh, anxiety will be where, uh, I'll disappear down on the online and putting off what I need to put off, doing what I need to do. Um, and, uh, I feel the anxiety building because I'm trying to escape online and then I'll be like, okay, I'm done. And then I'll eventually drive feeling crazy. Then I'll, I'll ride my bike right while the sun's setting. Um, because I've waited, you know, all day to exercise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I do this all the time. She's like, "Really? Again? You're gonna wait till the sun sets to ride your bike?" You know, it drives her nuts. And Sounds I'm like, like "Well, beautiful
1: time to ride a bike." I don't know what she's talking about. And Just an aside, I, I've been Team Larry from the beginning, uh, just so everybody
0: knows. <laughs> I'm, I'm I, Team I, Larry. <laughs> I did have to tell my partner he's a cyclist, and I had to tell him I was like, so these night bike rides are real dangerous. And he's like, no, and then we found we found out about people that were like hit by cars because oh, of I, speed racing, like people are street racing now, and he was oh. like, maybe I shouldn't do that. So I, I can this I can team building place. on this
2: one. In Los Angeles is one of the craziest places to ride. About. I won't ride the bike on the streets. I'm riding in Hancock Park. Oh. Okay? And I have a 10-mile course. Uh, it's just oh, okay. 10 miles. It takes 48 minutes. And i uh, been doing it like the whole quarantine, you know. And you know how many times I've been hit in Hancock Park? Uh, how many? I, uh, numerous times. From people Whoa. not stopping at stop signs. And some of them just go straight through. I've seen people racing their cars also inside Hancock park. It's crazy. Uh, it's crazy. So I'm out in Hancock park acting like I'm in the middle of like downtown LA. It's, it feels, it mm. feels so dangerous. Uh, it is nuts. It's nuts, but it's a, it's a great anyway. I, I, I,
1: so the um, thing that relieves your anxiety is also giving you
2: anxiety. <laughs> exactly. It is. I mean, uh, you have to be <laughs> vigilant out there. Um, But no, anxiety to me is something that you have to stay active in because inertia is what happens to me. I get frozen. Mm -hmm. So I don't make those phone calls. I don't pay that bill. I won't reach Mm -hmm. out to that person. I don't do that. I won't begin that project. Um, And I can feel it just like like blood sitting. And you have to just take an action, whatever action that is. Mm -hmm. And that will help to relieve any action will help to relieve anxiety. Yeah, even Um, if it's just,
1: I'm a habitual freezer myself. Like when, when all the things that I should be doing, think I need to do or have to do, like it just becomes insurmountable and I'm a freezer. Yes. Mm
2: -hmm. And uh, then it just gets worse and worse. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, you know, I'm very lucky I'm married because if I didn't have a kid and a wife to show up and to be like, hey, what are you doing, loser? You know, um, I'm, uh, I don't, you know, i don't think I'd be doing well. I, I, I'm so glad I'm married for that reason because I have some people to show up for in my life because I can't really show up enough for it myself. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> that, uh, so I've, I've learned a couple of tricks in life. And one is if you're, uh, if you're an addict, you tend to be prone to depression and anxiety. Set up the kind of life that will trick you into having a bigger life. Um, Mm -hmm. so make plans, be around people, you know, make goals, uh, go to that meeting, get get yourself out of the house, you know, set up a kind of a bigger life because my natural tendency is to sit still and to Mm -hmm. just, I mean, I'm a stoner, I'm a waking baker, you know, I love to kind of just disappearing, you know, I like disappearing. I like checking out. That's my natural tendency. Mm -hmm. you know, and, um, I have to fat and that, tendency and i say this to sponsors all the time just because you got sober um your disease doesn't know that doesn't know you're sober so Mm -hmm. every day you wake up with the same brain that takes you that veers you in the same direction the the direction as Mm -hmm. an addict's life and so you have to self-correct yourself Mm -hmm. uh without the drugs um but that's a reset every day Mm -hmm. so that's when you talk about this sense of surrender you got to surrender to that every day right so uh it doesn't get easier and that's how people with many years slip many yeah. people with many years da- die and we
0: paint ourselves into a corner that we can't get out of clean using our our, our character defects you know what I mean the yeah. character defects really become the thing that box us in and and I, and that leads to our next question of like what are your what are what are the defects of character you're still battling with like what are the ones that have been the hardest to let go of
2: um I mean I think I've already hit on a few of those. yeah, um, yeah definitely uh, the uh, tough one has been um, anger probably self-righteous mm-hmm. anger' mm-hmm. You know, luxury mm-hmm. It is out. definitely and whenever I especially like for example uh, this whole summer that someone our next door neighbor, I could be quiet because I'm in the back house. They <clears throat> changed our fence line mm-hmm. and I can't tell you, I was like, I was like, dude, you want to change the fence line? I've been living next to you for 10 years, mm-hmm. but he wanted to change the fence line and it affected our friendship. Mm-hmm. He changed, he fuck with me. Uh, this is a, it only has to do with my, it's my home. It's legally what the line is. I mean, all these things, it checked off all these boxes and and ultimately it affected our friendship and it still is. Um, and I can't believe how I could not kick this out of my head. Like I wasn't acting out on it. I wasn't like going, I was trying not to argue with him, even though he got in my face a couple of times. Mm-hmm. I was trying not, I was trying to take the higher road. And eventually it got to the point, I was like, I'm so shut down over this. I'm so angry about that. It's happening because we're talking about three inches, like three fucking inches. And we got to put, I mean, and wood is very expensive. Uh, workers are expensive. We're talking about a 15, $18,000 fence, you know, that we could have easily done for half price. Cause I went to him. I said, we could do it for seven grand and he, 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 he and leave it where it is. And he's like, no, we're going to change it. We're going to move it. And, um, and, and I was like, you know, really? Three inches? Three inches. It doesn't make any fucking sense to me. And so, but this was all summer uh, where I was avoiding him and I don't want to deal. And then ultimately we had to get well, one of the main points of contention was we need to get a, a, a property line guy out here and he's going to have to drop a laser and tell us where the property line is. If you really want to, because when we sell the fucking home. It's got to be right. And those Mm -hmm. guys are expensive. Surveyors are expensive. Mm -hmm. And I even had a, had a surveyor call me and he was like, dude, you don't want me to come out there. I'm going to charge you five grand. He's like, he's like, don't do it he goes and and he goes and every property line is off like what three inches two and a half like you guys are getting to such a small area of minutiae why are you doing this and i was like i asked him he's anyway so i I got to the point where i couldn't deal with it and fielding finally had to deal with it we got the surveyor we spent the money um we did and then they put up a shitty fence that faces towards them. And they gave us the shitty side. And it's now we have the shitty side staring at us every day. And I'm like, it's like a fuck you friend, I call it. It's like, oh, you gave us the fuck you side. Okay, good for you. Um, So anyway, that's living. So that anger and learning how to live with it and how to say, what's my lesson in this? Um, All these things and trying not to, what my general, that self-righteous anger, which to me is represented as burn the house down.
1: tell yep. people to light fire. it all on fire. fire.
2: Exactly. Mm-hmm. Fuck it. Fuck you. Burn it down. Like that's always my yeah. tendency. And yeah. it's never the, it's never the answer. It's never the yeah. answer.
1: I love a good mm-hmm. light it all on fire and walk away. Let, I, I think I, I'm gonna misquote it, but someone said once, "It's just like let the let the fires from the bridges I burn light my way to the next adventure." <laughs> you know, but like I I have a problem with anger as well, and I'm it I'm very hard to forgive not only a person but myself when I feel like I've been slighted. That's been a real task for me, is to to vocalize forgiveness, even though I don't mean it. Mm. Um, you know, like I, I've been doing, and I'm not a big pray guy as it is, but like the a, 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 a friend of the fellowship gave me this prayer that I've been saying begrudgingly is, God help me not carry anger and hurt. Uh, thank you for protecting me now rather than later. Although mm. I don't know what your plan is for me, I trust you. And even though you know I'm lying, please help me anyway. And wow. I've been, And I've been... I've been saying one. that every. Where'd day. you get that
2: prayer? Where'd you get it?
1: Uh, a well, a, a good friend, of my, a good friend of mine that's got a little bit more time than I do. He passed it along to me, and uh, he, he's just a great example of someone in this business uh, who's also a, a great example of what twelve-step recovery looks like, you know. And saying that prayer has helped me. Got to. Uh, even if it's just a small percentage of forgiveness to the people that I feel slighted by or angry or hurt. And I mean, even the loss of my father, like there's still a lot of anger surrounding cancer and the hospitals and things like that. Mm. But like, it's, it's important for me to experience forgiveness around those things. Otherwise it's, it's going to, it's going to drive me nuts. So like, how do you, how do you experience forgiveness or the lack thereof, Larry?
2: Um, well, I've been taught to forgive everyone. That's what I've been taught. Regardless, uh, if someone hits you with a car in the crosswalk and you've done nothing wrong, you need to forgive them. Um, you know, I, I, and I and I understand it as a a concept of a, a spiritual tenant, um, and it's but it's again like I was talking about earlier. If you're not active you don't take actions on any of these things they're just ideas and so forgiveness is an action so it's not enough just to forgive someone in your heart but what have you done to take an action to to act as uh to turn forgiveness into an act so you have to do something for them you have to do something for it or whatever uh, that's what i found i have to turn it into something turn it into something uh, because even like you were saying before, even if I don't feel it, I have to take a step towards it. Mm-hmm. And if I take a step towards it, I'm a lot closer to my own serenity today. And uh, it's okay not to be perfect, but, um, you know, um, <laughs> since I bring up Jeffrey Tambor again, Tambor used to say, he used to look at our class and go, who do you, who's that person, that celebrity that you can't stand that has so successful for whatever reason they press all your buttons who is it and the class would raise and there was this one guy that raised his hands and he was like I cannot stand Leonardo DiCaprio he I'm seething with anger towards him because uh, they were like we grew up at the same place or and he became this huge thing and he goes, and he represents everything I can't stand about the business. And Jeffrey went, are you willing to buy him a bouquet of flowers today and send it to his office? Mm-hmm. And he went, absolutely not. And he said, then get out of my class. Wow. <laughs> so he, and he was absolutely right. Because he called them on it and he said, this is, this is where we live and die on this bridge. And you're either mm-hmm. gonna go forward in this class and change, or you're gonna stay in this class and be the same person and want us to embrace who you are because you're so what, fucking good? No, Mm -hmm. you're here to change. That's the reason why you're in class. Are you either embrace change or why are you here? Mm -hmm. And it's, that's kind of a metaphor. And it's actually, anyway, the guy did leave class Um, and he refused to do it. But I think about it all the time. I think about how, you know, um, most of the time my resentments are wrong Mm -hmm. um i'm having one right now with and i'm trying to there's a a a guy in program that has slighted me numerous times he's one of my early guys that i I got sober with Mm -hmm. and he's kind of started turning into an angry guy Mm -hmm. and he lost he lost his temper on me uh last spring where he basically at a restaurant was like yo bro and gave me like the bro look and like wanted to throw down inside a restaurant and we're both sober oh. and and i looked at him i was going what are you doing what do you what are i said do you want to have a fight or something here mm-hmm. and he's like yeah all right no, he went yeah he goes let's go bro and i was like buddy and then like 10 minutes later he goes i'm sorry uh, uh, all right uh, i'm sorry um i'm irish you know i got angry you know and it, it, the, 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 <laughs> exactly, he blamed it he he on his Irishness. And I was like, dude, I'm Irish too, okay? I've learned to like not, not throw down with people in my 50s. Uh, this is about <laughs> something else. This is something that keeps coming up in our friendship. Mm. And um, you've got to get a handle on your anger or we can't hang out
0: mm.
2: because I know it's connected to this weird competitiveness he has with me. And this weird, like, I don't know what, but it f- had these flashes where he's not my friend and I mm. can't depend on him. And so uh, I asked him, I was like, dude, uh, but next time you want to hang out again, I go, well, can we have talk- coffee first and just talk that thing over? Because I don't want to go through that again. I don't want to look at you with those eyes. I don't know where that, I know where that anger comes from. That's how you were raised, but don't look at me like you want to fight me. I said, that just yeah. simply is not a part of the realm of possibilities anymore of any one of my close friends.
0: Yeah. We're grown anyway, now. Yeah. That's right. like, we're, that's, grown. we're grown. We're grown. Yeah. But, you know, I've known
2: him in recovery for 30 years, for 30 mm-hmm. years. Uh, and, and, and I know about the pressures in his life and I know how hard life has been for him and I know how it's twisted him and that at ang- what anger has done to him. Um, I also know that he wanted to stay an actor and there's a few things that he couldn't do and he didn't succeed at. And he looks at me and I know he feels like I passed him on the road or something. Um, and anyway, regardless of all that, he wouldn't meet me for coffee and he didn't want to talk mm-hmm. about it. And I was like, well, if you don't, if you don't want to meet and talk about this, that means that you don't want to spend time. Um, you don't think I'm worth the time or you just want to wait till the next time this comes up again. Cause I don't anyway, he stopped answering my texts and we haven't hung out for five months now. And that really pisses me off because, mm-hmm. you know, this is someone that I've shared a lot of sobriety with and a lot of friendship with and he made that decision and so to me that's like how do you deal with that anger i still have a sadness you know about that i have to live Mm -hmm. with Mm -hmm. Uh, but i think being sober is being okay to be uncomfortable to live in to live in the gray Mm uh and to stay out of absolutes and try to be okay with
1: not being okay
2: exactly and i try to send him love And appreciate where we've been on our path together and I hope maybe we down further down the road we'll find each other again but right now I care too much about myself to be with a person who's abusive
0: yeah and I I suspect especially if he's in program he's he's hopefully you know I I've been telling people this whole pandemic if you're bored work the steps You know, like if you're uncomfortable, work the steps, why not? When was the last time you did it? And I had to put my money where my mouth is. And now I'm on a night step and I have to make a lot of uncomfortable phone calls and and coffee dates with people that, you know, I've got, I've got years, man, I got to sit down and and make, make amends for things I've said and done in recovery. And I, I would hope that this person does the work and sees that that kind of aggression is unnecessary, you know? And with that means, with that being said, like what what's been the most uh, interesting or surprising or strange um, amends you've either given or gotten in recovery?
2: Hmm. Wow. I, I just forget a lot about those amends moments. I forget a lot about them. I don't know why. Um,
1: well, because a lot of the times that means it's over. So you don't have to think about
2: them anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess yeah. so. I mean, I don't know. I I think that it's not important, the immense moment for you. I, whenever I do a step, I always think, I always tell a sponsor, it's not between you and me. It's between you and God. I just happen to be a witness to it. It's not, I have nothing to do with it. I'm just your sponsor. I'm just like, whatever, another, another suffering addict who's here to be a witness between your contract with your higher power, and you're taking a step towards, and uh, and that amends step is between you and them. And I don't know mm-hmm. whether it's gonna stick or not. I have no idea whether you're gonna stay in program or not. I, I don't know. And um, I mean, I was so, I mean, uh, I don't know, uh, amends, man. It, it's been, I think it's been difficult to me, I try to make the amends right away. Those are the hardest ones now to say I'm sorry right away instead of living with it. And so it's made me a difficult friend because if you we have a disagreement, I'm going to bring it up pretty soon. And uh, I'm going to be honest with you. And that might be an extension of the argument. Uh, and then I'll have to probably write, do another amends after that moment. <laughs> but what I don't do is live with that uncomfortability anymore. You know, I just don't live with it. I can't have that stuff stuck with me. So I'm gonna say something, I'm gonna do something. So I don't, uh, and that includes if I make a mistake, uh, I, I'm gonna to try to address it as soon as possible. Um, and uh, yeah, that's what I try to do. That's that, That'll that let me know how, how I'm doing on the path today, you know. Um, Mm. because the less you stop doing it, if you, if I know as losing sobriety, I know what it's like to lose it. I know what it's like to start over. And uh, it sucks. It sucks to have to begin again. Um, I mean, I was surprised to wake up and I was like, I'm a full fledged addict. And I didn't even see it like, what the fuck, Mm -hmm. you know, like, how did that happen? And then it even happened again last year. I mean, I, it's not even to do with drugs. It had to do with, I started having, um, I'm so out of touch with my body. And, uh, and that has to, everything to do with me being an addict. Like with something's going with my body, I have this, like, it just, it's like, I can't be in touch with it. It's very mm-hmm. strange. Um, so I started having, I had diabetes too, and I didn't know it. Uh, I had full fledged symptoms. I had a thing called ketoacidosis where I was basically out of my mind and um, my poor wife had to put up with me. This was happening during the beginning of the pandemic. And finally, um, you know, I'm I'm doing all these. I'm guzzling sodas and water. I can't keep water in my system. I'm like, what's wrong with me? <laughs> you know. Meanwhile, it's a classic symptom of diabetes. And uh, it turns out, you know, I had been um, suffering from this for months. And I wasn't listening to any of the signs. I had like a sore in my mouth that wasn't healing. And I was going to urgent cares. You know, I hadn't found another uh, serious doctor, you know, to do my blood work. So the urgent care people were saying, hey, dude, this sore in your mouth is not normal. So deal with this. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Give me some antibiotics, you know. Mm -hmm, Uh, mm -hmm. And that's how I am. I'm kind of like a junkie that way. Like, I'm just so like, yeah, I'll go to the urgent care. Take care of it instead of really... To, to listen to a serious physical, you know, sign coming from my body, I'm so checked out. So, yeah. I mean, by the, by the time I reached the wall on this, I was in the emergency room at, at, at Cedars with doctors going, "Uh, your pancreas is so fucked right now that you could die at any second. And you've probably been there for a month. Um, you're at death point. And this is a, so I'm sober. And I sat there going, you know, I sat there and there's like alarms going off, you know, because of people, but it was right at the beginning of COVID. So there's people dying of COVID next door and they're trying to fix my blood sugar levels. And they're like, we kind of hope your pancreas comes back. You know, you fucked it so much that you might lose your pancreas. And if you lose your pancreas, you know, and, and then I would have been a, um, a diabetic a level one diabetic and so anyway I was a level one I had to shoot my give myself insulin for like six weeks and eventually my pancreas came back and then luckily I kind of flipped over to diabetes two and once it flipped over to diabetes two meaning it it didn't need insulin every meal uh I started to kind of develop my own insulin. That's really what that means. I started that, it started coming back to life. <clears throat> then these amazing new uh, diabetic uh, diabetes, two drugs are out there. It's an incredible time in science. Now, uh, much, less, much like the uh, mRNA kind of uh, vaccines, yeah. um, there is a new science for diabetes too. And there's a shot I give myself once a week that kind of cured me. It's amazing. And so I got on the other side of it and I got through it, but I have to say that my addict brain, my disconnectedness, my inability to look at myself and to connect physical symptoms to an actual problem. It just, it never, it just reminded me of like, I'm like, you're such a junkie. Like inside my head, I'm like, God, you're so stupid. Like like you're guzzling water. And I had to wake up every two hours to drink water. That's not normal, Larry. You should have rushed right away to the the emergency room. Don't beat up on
0: yourself. I did the same. I, I had a problem with my uterus and I convinced myself a lot of things were normal and a lot of things were okay. Like yeah. that meme of the dog in the flaming room with the coffee yes, cup. And he exactly. just says, I'm okay. Like, I'm this okay. is fine. This is fine. Right. So, so yeah, we, ha- we do have our resilience when, um, left when, when we don't have people being like, Hey, that isn't maybe normal can kind of get in our own way. Cause we're so tough.
2: Which is yeah. which is
0: kind of amazing. And I think that's why it takes like a regular daily self-care routine and like an yes. a, and and the ability to kind of check in and you ch- you you um touched on prompt amends, which kind of leads to our tenth question. Like, what is your daily get down um for for your recovery? Like, what is your daily routine to keep you sane and in this world?
1: Yeah. Do you have a spiritual practice and what's it look like?
2: Um it's not great um i that's one thing that's great about sponsees is they call me and they kind of remind me that i have sponsees and i go oh shit that's right there are people that actually listen to me and they uh so they'll call me i always love being tricked and surprised like i said i call them like tricks um mm-hmm. set up things get get sponsees and meet them for coffee mm. so, because all of a sudden you will be like, wow, I got to really know what I'm talking about. I got to work these steps myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like, oh, shit, I haven't read that part of the big book for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, this guy's depending on me. So I have that. I text them and talk to them on a daily basis. Uh, working out, I don't know. It's, it, it's critical for me because I, I got myself off SSRIs. Uh, and I have this diabetes thing now. So um, I have to exercise one hour a day. Um, that, that changes all my, those, uh, anxiety, um, hormones, uh, anything that, that kind of steers me towards depression and anxiety is alleviated, uh, through a lot of uh, f- physical movement. Um, I think that is key, uh, to staying sane and sober for me today. Uh, mm. uh um, so physical activity is important. Um, thank God I have my daughter, uh, because again it's like once you have a kid it just you got mornings and evenings you got to put her to bed i mean that's been going on for 10 years mm-hmm. um so that puts you on a program and then uh and then i have to show up for my relationship so listen i i created a big life um because my natural tendencies is to not do any of this shit. really mm-hmm. that's so i have a big life i have a career i have to audition Um, I, uh, I help people, I teach people, I show up and I write, I've created all these things. I run this writer's group. You know, I've created all these things, uh, as a way for, because I will wake up and not know what to do. Mm. Like, I just kind of stare going, what What is happening today? I have no idea. And luckily uh, from the beginning of the podcast,
1: it seems like you've cultivated a routine of service as a spiritual practice.
2: And I uh, think yeah. That, and that thing that you talked about where I don't really believe in it, but I do it because I know it's good for me. It works. So I have people that call me and ask for advice um, through, through uh, the business. Like I set up two coffee meetings this week with writers who aren't, these people aren't sober, but they want to know about movie making because I made my own movie. And mm-hmm. uh, about indie filmmaking, and I was like, so I I will say yes to that stuff at the drop And Fielding makes fun of me because I will see people and talk to people just about anyone at any time, uh, mm-hmm. and and talk about this stuff um, because I believe in it, and I also believe in the the healing power of um, being engaged in your own career as an artist, mm-hmm. and uh. uh and, I'm a, and again, I'm a teacher as well as a director. So I put on these hats for a reason, because I think it's life-saving. I think that if you set, I have to reach that bar every day, because if you want me to talk about myself internally, how I feel every day, I don't feel good. You know, I still have anxiety and depression. Mm-hmm. So I wake up with that every day. So um, I've got to take these I feel better generally after a meeting. Uh, I feel generally better after I talk to sponsees and I have a cup of coffee, and I have a lunch. Um, you know, like uh, that's what I do. Uh, I'm trying to deal with, uh, you know, uh, some soreness. I've had extreme soreness when I because I've started my tennis program. You know, I'm playing tennis a lot and I I really miss the days when I used to play a lot of tennis, but Mm -hmm. I'm in my fifties. So it's hard to play tennis a lot because you, Mm it's a, it's a sort of, it beats you up.
0: So on your knees, it's hard on your hips. I uh, literally one of the activities I'm not allowed to do because I have bad hips. So yeah, well, my hips
2: have been beating the hell out of me, but I used to play tennis all the time. Yeah. So, and I, and I don't like getting older. um, So I'm Mm -hmm. kind of fighting it. But I've been going to this chiropractor twice a week just so that I can play tennis. Mm. Um, And he's been freeing up my lower back. And I mean, it was bad. I couldn't even Mm -hmm. walk during the summer after I played. I couldn't Mm. walk. I could barely walk back to the courts, but he, he looked at me and he's like, Oh, you're very tight. He's Korean. And he doesn't speak, (laughs) doesn't speak any English. And I go, I found this guy. He's like a healer sports medicine. I was turned on to him by this dude. And he's got all these machines in this sports therapy uh, uh, office down in Koreatown. And uh, he's got these electrical things he hooks you up with. They, they, they just, you know, you just get electrocuted, basically. I call him Dr. Mm-hmm. Electro. Uh, but he's like, oh, you're very tight. Uh, not good. And he does. he's not crazy about me playing tennis, but he's trying to help me to get back. And he mm-hmm. literally, he says, he walks on my... He walks on the back of my, on my, um, hamstrings, you Mm -hmm. know, he's walking up and down on the table. That's how tight they are. They will not release. Mm -hmm. And, uh, anyway, he saved my ass, but you know, I set this as a goal because of this crazy head I wake up with every day. I Mm -hmm. want, I want to, I want to set this physical goal Mm -hmm. because what's the opposite of that is me sitting, not being connected to my body, gaining weight, uh, uh, getting sick and not being as active. Like I don't want to be that. I'm gonna I'm gonna go down swinging in this world, and I'm gonna try to stay as active as I can. And you know, the fifties, being in your fifties sucks. That's all I can say. It sucks, and I'm gonna fight it. Well,
1: I think taking care of yourself, uh, being of service to yourself, helps me, me at least, be of maximum service to others. And I think that is what even with my limited conception of a higher power is sometimes like I made a deal with the spirit of the universe that if it helped get me my life back, that I would do whatever I could to help the next person. And that's, you know, at my worst, that's my relationship with my higher power. Uh, Larry, what is your relationship with your higher power? If you have one, Uh, what does it look like?
2: Um, uh, the higher power is, I think the voice in my head, uh, that, uh, I give myself over to and (laughs) acknowledge it's that it is, it's, it's bigger than me. And I'm always giving myself over to it. So, um, uh, I just ask for, um, uh, I believe that I don't think necessarily that we're all supposed to have good things happen to us in this world. I'm not one of those people that oh, you get sober and all these great things happen to you. I don't think that's true. Um, I do believe we're supposed to do learn. So the third step prayer to me is my prayer. That's one man like, let me know your will because I know there is a reason why I got sober. I had plenty of chances to die. Um, so I've been spared for a reason. So that energy, uh, which I think is God's love, you know, which I think of as sunlight, let's say sunlight, like it's always shining. The old sunlight of the spirit. Yes, it's life sustaining. The sun's always shining, right? It doesn't stop. And I do believe that I believe in that, that that goodness that mm, not just necessarily good, I just believe in the light. And I think that sickness and death is also a part of that light. And I don't, it doesn't make any sense to me, but I, uh, I pray for, um, the power to carry out its will. And, um, so that's it. So to turn myself over to something that's greater than myself today and ask for the power to, um, uh, to carry out. It's what do you want me to do today? How, how can I be a service to you today? Because I do believe my life was saved. Um, <clears throat> and so far that's been true. And I was staring at my daughter. I got my house. I got a career. I got a car sitting in the drive, all these great things. And so like, wow, this is great. Like, uh, Not only have I survived, but I I feel like I'm prospering. And um, how can I help someone else come over and uh, prosper? That's what I've been taught. And that, to me, is an interesting way to live your life. And it's the only thing that really... um, matters and so you're doing a service doing this podcast yes you obviously get something out of this right because if sometimes someone if someone can help be helped by your podcast then that's a great service that you're doing Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um uh, that's the way i look at this world and i think the higher power is involved in all this
1: yeah yeah I think, and and it it leads us to the end here. And it's the final question is a way for you to be of service to someone out there right now. The last question, Larry, is what would you tell someone just like you listening
2: right now? What would I tell someone? Yeah. That's sober or not sober. Someone that's just like me.
1: Pick a Larry. Yeah. Pick a Larry.
2: Pick a Larry that's listening to me. I would say hang in there. Do something that makes you afraid today whatever scares you do that thing and you never know what the future holds if you persevere mm. yay we did it <laughs> We did all beautiful. 12, Larry.
1: You've been a wonderful guest. I'm yes. still 100% Team Larry. Um, <laughs> every t- every time I've run into you, have always been a delight. Uh, right now, what, uh, uh, what, what are you doing? What are you up to? Uh, this is your chance to plug social media. What are you working on? How can people find you?
2: Well, uh, Fielding and I have done this series called Bitter Homes and Gardens. It's on YouTube. Check it out. We're releasing our second season and we're trying to develop Uh, you know, a social media following, which is very difficult trying to find your audience. It's really Mm -hmm. difficult, but we're trying to figure it out this time. And we did it the first season. Weren't so good at finding our audience. Someone told us to release on FaceTime. So on Facebook, I mean, and uh, that was probably not a good move. So we transferred everything over to YouTube and I don't know what we're doing, but uh, we have fun doing it. And it's, it's fun to be silly with my wife and um, and and create this thing, this kind of crazy, this crazy streaming series called Bitter Homes. So anyway, there's that, um, I don't know, I've got, I'll pop up on TV every now and then, I'm doing various projects. Um, if you want to see my film, it's called Three Days with Dad, it's about the death of my dad. Mm. And um, it's how I processed my grieving, I made a movie about it. And mm. it's Brian Dennehy's last movie and um, he looked a lot wow. like my dad. And I recreated all the scenarios of my dying father uh, eight, eight years after he passed.
0: It was kind of,
2: kind of a mind fuck. I just, like, I re-experienced losing him again, but I did it on a, with a film crew. It was crazy. Mm-hmm. But I feel like I told a really cool story in the process of an addict who is uh, forced to kind of grow up through the death of his father. So anyway, mm-hmm. that exists. It's on Amazon Prime. It's on a bunch of platforms it's called three days with dad. And, uh, I got all my friends to be a part of it and I'm pretty proud of it. Um, yeah. So check that out.
0: Oh, I love that.
1: Better homes and gardens on YouTube, three days with dad on Amazon prime and other streaming platforms. Uh, so Anna, where can people find you in this wonderful thing that we create?
0: Well, you can find me at Anna V is fun on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all the social medias. You can go to my website, Anna I will be on tour coming up. So uh, keep your eyes peeled I'll be coming back from uh, uh, Gainesville, Florida, going all the way across the cold States, and then uh, heading down through Denver and then coming home. So keep your eyes peeled for that on my website and social media. And uh, where you can find this podcast is 12 Q pod. That is 12 Q pod on all social media, um all the all the platforms check us out even the gmails uh you can check us out uh send us emails let us know what you think um 12qpod
1: at gmail we did a we did a a, an episode uh, a few days ago where we answered your listeners questions so they have been answered the ones that we've received so if you want us to do more episodes where where we answer your questions it doesn't matter what they are 12qpod at gmail.com um and me you can find me at Yates Comedy on Instagram and Twitter. You can see me fighting chuds on TikTok. I've never argued on any social media platform like I've argued with people on TikTok. So find me at wow, Yates Comedy. Wow, and
0: you were the king of Facebook jail. This is crazy. Yeah,
1: I was getting kicked off of Facebook for telling people I'm going to kick them under the fridge and now I'm I'm thriving on TikTok telling people that we that people deserve a higher minimum wage and I'm getting all the chuds coming out of the word works. And I oh, I, I, I got to check I, you out. Oh, uh, yeah. My, my, most my, recent, my most recent my most recent videos that have gone pretty popular is because they make people angry. It's my nobody wants to work anymore videos on uh, TikTok at Yates Comedy, where I tell people it's like it's not that nobody wants to work anymore. It's they don't want to be treated like shit and in poverty while they do it. And what yeah. would you believe it? People think I'm <laughs> wrong and they think I'm a poor piece of shit you know which is hilarious to me because i yeah i'm as moderately successful as a uh touring comedian can be so check me out at <laughs> yates comedy and how we end this podcast every week larry uh if nobody's serenity told you this prayer today,
2: i'm sorry nope.
1: <laughs> nobody's told you this today larry we love you buddy
2: oh love you too
0: yay anna
1: and if nobody's told you this today we love you
0: Love you, Dave.
1: Yuck. And if you're listening out there and you don't receive love as well as I do, uh, if you're listening today, uh, we would just like to extend we love you to all you
2: listening out there. Thanks for tuning in. Have a good week. Bye. Bye. Okay. Bye.